Facing the Enemy of Death, next on Abounding Grace. Death is not the end for the believer, it's the beginning. The last breath that is breathed on earth for the believer in whatever millisecond of time leads to the very first breath in the presence of the Lord. It's only temporary. The body rests until the resurrection. A Christian doesn't have to fear death any more than fearing taking a nap because you will wake up. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Unless the rapture occurs during our lifetime, we'll all face the enemy of death. But we don't need to do so in fear. We can have a glorious hope to cling to. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll hear an encouraging lesson about Christians dying. It's not something you hear a lot about these days, but it is important. Maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one recently or are contemplating your own mortality. Be encouraged as you study along with Pastor Ed Taylor today in 2 Kings 20. So take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 20 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 20 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we turn our attention to a Bible study that I've entitled Facing the Enemy of Death. You know, God used King Hezekiah in amazing ways, wonderful ways. The nation of Judah was blessed because of him. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man that was dedicated to God, that learned from his mistakes, and God used him. One of the highlights of all the kings was King Hezekiah. And we're blessed when God brings godly leaders into our lives. Men that are just committed, women are just committed to serving God faithfully and leading us in the ways that we're to go. It's a blessing to have them, and we can't have too many godly men and women that would be brought into our lives to encourage us through their spiritual leadership. And at the same time, it's very painful, extremely painful, when they leave, or when they exit, or even more when they die. I remember not too many years ago when Pastor Chuck Smith died. It affected me greatly. And I think it affected many people because God really used that man and continues to use that man. Praise God for cassette tapes as they recorded all of his messages. And then somebody got him and took him and, and converted him to MP3s. And now we don't need to buy cases of cassette tapes anymore. It's all on, the, on, our, on our app, on our phone or our iPad. But I praise God that he was recorded and that we can continue to be encouraged by him. Another man that I think of, although I wasn't personally affected by him, I think of J. Vernon McGee, who's still on the radio to this day, and how God uses him to take you on the Bible bus and go through the Bible in five years. I know as a new believer in my commutes, he used to minister to my heart greatly as I was driving all over Southern California for my job. And so I, I'm thankful for the men and the women that God brings into our lives, and it's extremely painful when they die. It's a great loss. 
Because the Bible teaches us that death is an enemy. And it's true. Facing the loss of a loved one is painful. And it's hard. And it's the result of sin. Everyone dies because of sin. And death yet, at the same time, reminds us of hope. You can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25, it says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, because the Lord has spoken. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch as then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Say amen to that. No more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's the future for every believer in the presence of God. And so today, in 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah faces death. Notice with me in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah is in a place where he's to face death. He's face to face now with the reality of his own death. And notice it says, in verse 1, in those days. What days are, are these referring to but those days of God's strength and faithfulness? Those days of victory. Those days of encouragement where God's faithfulness has been displayed. Where Hezekiah was in a good place, serving God faithfully. And it's good to be reminded that even in times where the Lord is blessing and things are moving forward, and great things are happening. Godly men and godly women are not immune to sickness and not immune to death. Sometimes God will even use that sickness to bring himself great glory in the eyes of those that are watching. And every one of us, every one of us will face death. Every one of us will die of our last sickness. As the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we live in these human carcasses. Notice, not only is he facing death, but he was told to do something. And he was told to set his house in order. These are wise words, church. These are very wise words. We should live daily with our homes in order and not just wait until we get sick. We, we should live with our houses in order, our homes. I want to encourage you personally Please set up a will or go further and set up a living trust. Take care of those pap- that paperwork that would speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. Take care of those orders that if you are in a coma, somebody's not making decisions for you that would be different than what you would desire if you were able to speak. It is just a little bit of work 
But even if you're not facing sickness today, please, I beg you, set your house in order. Get things ready. If you have any thought of those that might be left behind, the best thing you can do for them is to set your house in order to the best of your ability. Having to face death through the court system, having to face a son in a coma, please get your paperwork in order and set in place those things that will speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. It's absolutely imperative. I don't want you to regret it. And so as a pastor, I'm telling you. And you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have said this with such strength unless I personally experienced the devastating effects of not having paperwork in order. I'm telling you, please, for the sake of everyone that loves you, take care of this. These are wise words. They're important words. And I know we don't often think of them until we get the final word, but I I would say to you, that you don't have to be sick to do the right thing. It seems as if some people spend more time, more time taking care of things that really don't matter. You know, cleaning our houses, keeping them up. But please spend some time to set your house in order because death is inevitable. The Bible couldn't be clearer. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. In Acts chapter 17 verse 26, it says, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation or their dwellings. And it's interesting as you survey various churches' websites, uh, perhaps even ours, although I think we've done a good job of this, You'll find a lot of studies about life, a lot of series teaching what, how to live as a Christian, what Christian living is, but you don't have too many Bible studies on Christian dying, much on Christian living. But as believers throughout the New Testament, especially if you would turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, like the believers in Thessalonica, then we too today not only do we need to be taught about Christian living, but we also need to be taught, as the Bible reveals, on Christian dying. And what it means for the famous saying to be, to be brought, up, brought to pass in our lives, as we've been taught by my pastor, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Jeff, that only one life is soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And as someone who has seen a few years added to his odometer, uh, in faster than I ever anticipated, it happens fast. And, and if you're not living life daily, it will pass you by. And you'll look back and wonder, what happened to my life? And by the way, it's never too, like, never too late, not only, number one, to set your house in order, but also, number two, it's never too late to start living for the things of God, to make a commitment deeper than you have already, to say, this is my life, God. You have given it to me on loan. I belong to you. You purchased me. You own me. My life exists because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is never too late to switch around your behavior and your mindset, to live your life fully for the things of God. And might I just add this? You, if you know, there's a lot of decisions we make, we make in such a way where we're like, man, I don't want to regret this. I don't want to regret this. A life lived for Jesus Christ, you will not regret. Of all the things that I have seen, and I've been at the bedside of many of the sick and dying, 
and had an opportunity even to speak with them and hear a history of their life. And I hear a lot of regrets. I hear regrets about not spending time with this and and I wasted my time with that. And we help process that so that the blood of Jesus Christ will remove any condemnation there on the deathbed or in the hospital room and helping them process the forgiveness of God, that there's no condemnation. But I can tell you this, as of today, of all the people that I've ever sat with, all the people I've ever talked to, whether I've spent time in a convalescent home, or in an extended living, or uh, assisted living, or a hospital room, wherever I have been with those that are facing life, and the end of life, as of today, I have yet to meet anyone that has ever said to me, you know, pastor, I really regret dedicating my life to God. No one has ever shared that with me. No one has ever expressed a regret of raising their kids in the ways of the Lord, of making decisions that would honor God in their home, of being a godly grandparent or a godly gra- Never. Usually regrets of I could have and I should have in the spiritual realm. And it's never too late. Set your house in order. Decide to follow God. And understand, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed once for a man to die, but after this, the judgment. This is it, gang. This is life. This is our life. This is the life that God wants to lead you in and help you along. Paul, as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's writing as a pastor. He's writing as a friend. He wants to comfort the broken-hearted Christians who had lost some loved ones. And as he writes, he recalls the three weeks that he spent with them, ministering among them. And as he taught them, he taught them about the return of Jesus Christ. And they had mistakenly taken his teachings and believed that the coming of the Lord happened before he came. And what would happen if he came? And, and months had passed and Jesus now hadn't returned. And now people had died. And so they're concerned and they don't know what's going to happen. Did they miss the rapture? Did they miss the resurrection? And so this poor church with new believers is confused. And they, ha- they have lost hope. And they're unsure of what's happening and what's going to happen. And so notice what he says in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 13 he says... I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so not only had they been new to theology and misunderstanding what was taught, but also they're dealing with ignorance, the lack of knowledge. Literally, that word ignorance means not knowing or not understanding. They just didn't know or understand what was happening after death. And it was their ignorance that many false teachers took advantage of. And, and it's really one of the places that cults and you know, manipulative pastors and leaders, they love to gain knowledge of, of, about you and ask questions from you and key in on areas where you're not so sure or where you're hurting so that they might draw you to their teaching or to themselves or whatever it is that is happening now, it was happening back then. And notice he says, for we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died. So how is ignorance, how is ignorance matched with faith? We believe. That's a strong word. We're convinced that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you, notice, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So ignorance is met with two things, belief, faith, and the word of the Lord. And those are the things that will establish us, especially in times of concern. We don't need to worry. We don't need to wonder about death or life after death because we have a revelation from God of what happens. And so therefore, it lays to us hope. Jot it down. Quite a few scriptures today, but please jot them down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We have absolute certainty with the revelation of God that we will be with him for all of eternity. And that's a long time. But among the believers, there were many speculations out there with many books that are written. And I, I mean, the, you would think over the years that, that publishers would stop publishing and people would stop buying these books that say, you know, I, have, I saw the light. Um, what was the latest one? The latest one was some kid that they popularized. And, and he saw heaven. And so his dad marketed this kid, sold millions of dollars worth of books. And then what happened? The kid said it was fake. And how discouraging that we don't look to someone's revelation of heaven or even there's a guy right now that says he spent some time in hell. You know, I'm not really interested in his book. Even if he did spend time in hell, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know anything about evil. The Bible says, that's why as believers, if we just follow the scriptures very simply, the Bible says to stay innocent in those things of evil. And so why would we be buying a book about some dude that said he went to hell? And, you know, what kind of standing does he have if he went to hell to begin with? Like, what's that all about? I went to hell. And I want to tell you about it. Bro, why did you go to hell in the first place? <laughs> you see, we have absolute certainty that even in our minds, even when we're confused, even when we're gripped with emotion, the word of God doesn't change. And so by faith in the word of the Lord brings back a sense of calm and peace and confidence. And I am amazed that so many people listen to the words of those that say they died and came back again and visited this place or that place and at the same time reject or minimize the sure words of Jesus Christ who literally died and rose again. He literally experienced death was buried and rose again the third day. The Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I, Jesus spoke to her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the key question, do you believe this? On, and so on a night that glorifies a twisted perversion of death, we come to face to face with the one who overcame sin and death on our behalf. Now notice back in 1 Thessalonians 4 how sleep is described. Because when you're reading through this, you, it says in verse 13, I just want to talk to you guys. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Now again, with a word like this, there are many that like to rush in 
and create a doctrine that really the Bible doesn't support just because of this one word. And so they'll say, well, look, it says right here that you don't die, you fall asleep. And so this false teaching of what's, uh, what's been termed soul sleep, uh, and that's kind of like another teaching for purgatory where there's this in-between place where you don't really die, you just kind of are in limbo until the end of the age. The Bible doesn't teach that in any way whatsoever. When the Bible uses the word sleep, it is a metaphor. It is a description. It is what it looks like when someone dies. It looks like they're asleep. And so and it's an appropriate metaphor to describe how they look. And it's simply that. The idea here is a description of the body, sleep, not the soul. Even as you fall asleep, it's your body that's asleep. It is the mechanisms of your mind that are resting. This is a reference to the body. And it's a common phrase throughout the New Testament to refer to death. Remember in the book of Acts, as Stephen was before the Sanhedrin, sharing the gospel with them. It says at the end of Acts chapter 7, verse 60, they got so mad at him, they stoned him. And it says, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. It's even used in the Old Testament. David uses it. Uh, it's referred to the death of David. Uh, King David in 1 Kings chapter 2, it says, so David rested with his fathers. In the old King James, it uses the word sleep. And so as Christians, we use this term for death because it reminds us that it's only temporary. It's not permanent. Death is not the end for the believer. It's the beginning. The last breath that is breathed on earth for the believer in whatever millisecond of time leads to the very first breath in the presence of the Lord. It's only temporary. The body rests until the resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. A Christian doesn't have to fear death any more than fearing taking a nap, because you will wake up. We're learning how to face the enemy of death today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you'd like to give this a second listen, stop by calvaryaurora.org. If you haven't already downloaded the free Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. This is a great way to take in a steady dose of God's Word. Pastor Ed, we have a wonderful resource we'd like to get into our listeners' hands. What can you tell us about it? Larry, the resource this month is a classic. It's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's one of the first books that I ever read. And to have found God and still pursue Him has been called The Paradox of Love. And it, it really hasn't been embraced by too many, Tozer says. And basically, Tozer... A.W. Tozer has the gift of exhortation. So his writings and his teachings are very sharp and pointed. And they're sharp and pointed to help us grow and move forward. He's, you know, remember, encouragers have a tendency to lift up. Exhorters have a tendency to move on. And so a lot of people have avoided Tozer, Tozer over the years. And his last name, by the way, is spelled T-O-Z-E-R. 
Uh, a lot of people have avoided him because he does push, um, but in a godly, biblical way. And so the, the book Pursuit of God is a series of chapters just encouraging you to press in in a deeper way uh, to your spiritual walk. And the books that we offer here on Abounding Grace uh, are designed to build you up and build a spiritual library. I know you, a lot of people buy a lot of books. I know I bought a lot of books that really weren't helpful. And so we've developed a list and we've developed a series of books that I know will bless you if you get it. So it's Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Whether you get it from us and you support us, or you get it from Amazon, please just get it and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The time is short, and we got to keep pressing in. That's The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And we'd love to get this into your hands. We ask for a donation of $25 or more, which will help us remain a biblical voice on this station. Call 877-30-GRACE. Don't miss our next study in the Word next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.